1: You're very welcome to this week's podcast, Railway Stories. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and for many years I've travelled the country and collected railway stories and found that the people connected or associated with railways are a very special community and they lived and talked their experiences. This podcast is a snapshot of what I collected. We'll start with the West Clare Railway. The West Clare Railway operated in County Clare between 1887 until 1961 and this three-foot narrow-gauge railway ran from Ennis, serving many of the towns along the way, until it arrived at Myasta Junction. And that's where I met station master Joe Taylor, who took me on board a restored carriage from the 1880s
5: all aboard now please will passengers please for La Hinch Milton Malbay, Innes Diamond Corofin, Workhouse Halt and Ennis, please take the train at at platform one as we're about to depart it's now quarter past six Morris so the six o'clock train is about to depart
1: oh we'll miss it if we don't hurry (laughs) on (laughs) quick
5: (laughs) we'll go in the back carriage, okay Jackie's going to start it up there just to build up now we're in a replica of a third class coach of the 1880s yeah uh the, the the original of the species would have a, a timber on the outside, but the safety people wouldn't allow us build the timber coaches. But the interior of it is exactly taken from photographs of the way they used to look. People facing each other sitting on timber seats, and they would have gone to market in Kilrush. Some people would have ducks, geese, chickens, dozens of eggs underneath the seat, and it would be quite an exciting and smelly place, Morris, in the old days, because there were small animals with them in the in in the carriage, you know. Mm-hmm. It's quite narrow, isn't
1: it? Uh, and well, I, I'm sure it would be a wonderful place for conversation, you know. People yeah. could actually uh, chat away. In, 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 well, uh, it is
5: a narrow gauge line, more So yeah, they are substantially smaller, uh, not as long as the standard gauge, and not as high, and they are substantially narrower. The reason they built narrow gauge lines was for economic reasons. and They were cheaper to build because the rolling stock was much smaller than the standard gauge.
1: The West Cork Railway also closed in 1961, But in its heyday, in the 1930s, Cosmo Haskert remembers his school days as a schoolboy arriving back on the Inish Fallon from England to Cork, and then travelling first class on the Cork to Bantry train. Usually, there was first and second class. I only remember
6: once travelling first class. I used to normally travel... I said first and second, I was wrong. First and third, there was no second, for some reason. Um, third class was pretty hard benches and so on. And you had women with baskets of chicken and all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, But um, uh, the the first class carriage... I mean, uh, I, I think I went twice in first class, for some reason or other. And I do remember... Uh, in the winter, you went to the Albert Quay station. You got on the train, and the first class carriage had uh, on one, there was no corridor. You, the, each carriage opened straight out onto the platform. Um, and uh, on one side, there were three most comfortable, sort of almost armchair type seats, and on the other side, there were two. And then in the middle was a little door which led you through to a little private washroom. Uh, uh, so you had that. The, that was part of the setup, uh, what today would probably be called en suite.
1: <laughs> so you remember all the, uh, the the towns and the villages that the train passed through? Yes, indeed. Stations, yeah. Well,
6: one, one thing which uh, was uh, uh, perhaps almost unique, I suppose, <clears throat> about the train in winter was that you had a foot warmer put into the first class carriage this was a long metal thing about as long as that table there uh, about this high and it was full of hot water so you put your feet on that mm-hmm. and then when you got to bandon a replacement was put in uh, and then from there uh, going west from bandon you just uh, the water got colder and then you, there was no more foot warmer after that Uh, But as far as the the stations were concerned, you really learned quite a lot about the country because the the stations came around pretty quickly. The train rumbled along and it stopped. And and it stopped at wonderful places like desert surges and so on, which, uh, you know, people have to ask, where is that? And uh, and, um, uh, at that time, uh, I think flax growing had already faded out in County Cork, but there had been, um, uh, round Ballyneen and Enniskeen, there had been quite a lot of flax grown, I think perhaps experimentally at one time. Um, but uh, people getting in and out, people very chatty, on the, as people are on a train. I mean, it was, conversation was the normal thing. You didn't see people sort of sitting, looking glum or looking at the paper and so on. Everybody
1: talked to everybody else. The introduction of narrow gauge railways opened the countryside and the movement of people and goods were transported from one town and village to another. The Tralee and Dingle Railway closed in the 1950s. It had 31 miles of three-foot gauge rising at sea level at Tralee in County Kerry and then crossing the spine of the Dingle Peninsula climbing up hills and down into the valleys until it eventually arrived in Dingle. It was the most westerly railhead in Europe. My dad was their
7: stationmaster in Annescald. He went to Annescald, I think, about
1: 1916 or 17. John Knightley recalls his father's time, Bob Knightley, as stationmaster in the village of Annescald, which is about halfway between Dingle and Trilly. To fill in after the death of uh,
7: Mr. Hoffman, uh, who was a Protestant, and he died suddenly in the railway station itself, and my dad had been working in the railway station and stayed in the office with uh, the Baileys, who were great railway people in Trilly and Dingle at the time. And he was sent out to Anescal and he finished just to carry out relief there. And he stayed there for 20 years, if you don't mind. But uh, his job was to uh, manage the place. And there was uh, six milesmen, plate layers, maintaining the line to pay them. Uh, He had a porter... And when times were busy, he had an extra man working in the store. Uh, at the time, all the provisions, all the meal stuffs, meal and flour and all that, in the springtime, all the manures, they all were delivered by train. And all the building materials coming from Dingle and from Tralee itself, from Latchford's, and McKinnis, McCowns, and Tralee. It was like the railway was the only means of transport at the time.
1: In the 1930s, as a young boy, John was travelling in the train going from Onesgall over the hills and over the viaduct at Lisboa into Dingle when he had a hair-raising experience in a runaway train. I was... uh,
7: one of the people that was in a runaway train one time. Uh, my, I had an aunt in Dingle and as a young fella, maybe about seven or eight, I'd imagine I was... Uh, I sat in into the guards van with Jimmy Ash uh, and his family. Some of his family are still in Trillia, I think. But I sat into the garden with Jimmy Ash, and he'd accompany me down to my aunt's house, and dingle after getting off, and dingle. And lo and behold, when we arrived at the top of Gardner after negotiating all the hills, and with the greatest incline of all, from there, then down to small Bridge, and... Uh, The next thing is the train started to rock from side to side. And I always remember the guard, even though I was only young, of seven or eight, taking off his cap and praying aloud that we'd make the viaduct. Yes. <laughs> and we made the viaduct, and I was looking out. Uh, he was after applying the handbrake. And in the big bogey vans that they had there, uh, they were the length of a carriage and uh, there was a handbrake at each end of them. And, of course, you couldn't screw down the handbrake tight because you'd only skid along, whereas uh, just keeping it applied nice to try and control the train. But he he wasn't able to control it, and when we were passing through Lisboa Station, I always remember five or six lads on the platform there, waiting for the morning paper, even though this was (laughs) half seven, maybe eight in the evening. morning papers out of Dublin arrived in Kerry only at that time. And uh, some of these fellows, they couldn't get over that The train didn't stop because the bundle of papers (laughs) and other things would have been handed out. And they continued on their bicycles, chasing the train back, and the train stopped almost when the climb starts then again to go up into Jingle there where you'd pass the, the race course. And uh, I got out and I walked along the road. We were by the side of the public roadway. And I walked along the side of the road with the guard, which Jimmy Ash, up to the driver. And he was attacking the driver for... Uh, Letting the train run away, as you may say. But uh, that had been, uh, that viaduct in Lisboa had been the scene of a great accident years before, uh, within the first 10 or 15 years of the line being opened, because the curve going into it was too sharp. And a train or an engine, an engine, I think maybe one wagon went in and down into the bottom of the valley there. And my dad always said that he was only a young fella and they walked out from Dingle and he said, that accident was as notorious as you may say at the time as... Uh, An airplane crash would be today. The whole town of Dingle walked out there over the weekend and for a couple of days uh, to see the engine and the engine on its side
8: and The amazing
7: thing was they righted the engine and they sloped uh, they sloped a railway into it. And they were able to pull up that engine, and the engine worked for years after. Of course, it had to be, it had to be serviced and all that.
0: The uh, the goods train had come out the main road. You bring them off up there above, and there was a lever here. You put in the staff and make the road over.
1: The Irish Sugar Beet Factory in Carlow was opened in 1924, and it was the first of its kind in Ireland. And for many decades, it was the cornerstone of the local economy. And James Moran used to work there. And here he explains what he was doing. There was a road running parallels with the line, wasn't oh, there? Oh yeah, there were six of them. The goods would come out
0: the main road, you'd bring them in onto the siding then, hook off all your beat, do your shunting, and uh, then all the sugar that would be going out, you put it onto the engine, he'd go back out, hook up to the rest of his train, and away. No. Where, where were
1: you stationed exactly? Just off up above here. In the hut? In the hut. What exactly did you do? What was your day's work? What, what were you involved in?
0: Well, I was involved in all the wagons, that, uh, the beat wagons that came in. I took all the stations they were from, with the labels on them. You see? Take the name and write them down into the book, and the number of the wagon. Leamy was Checker. He was down in the factory uh, where they were loading the sugar. And he checked the uh, loads in it. Maybe it'd be 10 tonne, maybe 5 tonne. So he put down where it was going. at Kildare, Dublin, Limerick, or where it was, you know.
1: Put the labels on them.
2: This is a red brick house. Yeah. Both inside and outside.
1: Molly Carl lived and worked all her life at the railway station house in Ballyling, Greignamanna in County Kilkenny. Her father worked on the railway when it first started in 1903.
2: The the railway here opened in three and he come on the rail lane. You know, put down the rails, you know. Yeah.
1: And Molly explains her father was picked out at the hiring fair when men were needed to join up and work on the rail line going down to County Waterford.
2: And then when it was, when they was picking the men off, he used to go to a place called Glenmore. That's outside of New Ross and then into, and into Waterford. He used to have to walk it then from New Ross into Glenmore. But he used to bring the bicycle along the the rails. In case any cows or anything, it would be on the railway.
1: Molly used to label the beet wagons. So,
2: labelling the wagons and stay up in the night and pff, let them out, bringing in the other ones. <laughs> that was my job.
1: What time of the night would they come in?
2: Oh, well... Or go out, I mean. Uh, some of them now, it was very good now. They used to go out now till 12 o'clock. You know.
1: So you were working late into the night, really? I was, yeah. And in the 30s and 40s, the place was buzzing. As uh, Molly explains here, all the local farmers used to come with their uh, horse and car load of beet.
2: The whole house here used to be packed. And then if you was coming down the lane with your car or anything, you couldn't come through. Yeah. There'd be a row. (laughs) You know? I
1: would Do you remember a time when the, before the tractor? I did well, the
2: horses and cars. Yeah. Did well.
1: The, it was slower moving, of
2: course. Uh, it was, but it was good moving. They used to be in there on the bank there before eight o'clock in the morning. And
1: the, the car didn't carry, you know, it wouldn't carry as much as a trailer. Uh, they used to
2: have three horses and a good car and the rims on it.
1: Was it, was it, can you describe the car? Was it a long car? Oh,
2: it was a long one. A horse's car. Yeah. It used to have rims up on it. You know. Yeah, to stop yeah. the beat
1: from falling to out. To stop
2: the beat from falling out. Yeah. Was the local a- farmers, there was Bella Crinigan, Cooley Hoon, Bahana, Drana and Drummond. All them come.
1: Another job Molly used to do was operate the signal box. And one night, while walking down the track, she discovered that a train had become derailed.
2: Course, we used to have to open the signals there above.
1: Yeah.
2: And in the wagons in on the bank there.
1: And that was all manual, of course. He oh, yeah, we and... had nothing else. We <laughs> <You could> got <laughs> hands. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one night, my daddy was here, and I was walking down there beside the railway, you know. I. Oh, where we looking. I don't know. Oh, so you have to go down, Daddy, and uncouple that wagon. I can't do it. Why? What's wrong? One of the rails, one of the wheels of the wagon so is off, is off the rail. <laughs> that finished that. We had to get the breakdown gang the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. Breakdown gang.
1: And when the train arrived at Ling station house, the railway men used to come into the house to Molly for their breakfast and return again to the train where they would cook it.
2: And they come in then in the mornings to us, and uh, they used to have a shovel. We'd have rashers, sausages. We didn't know what tomatoes was, you know. rashers And so, And then we always kept hens. Go in the house then and... Get a whole of have eggs, you know, and bring yeah. them in in your apron, you know, leave them there too. And
1: what would and you they buy? They used to uh,
2: bring out the eggs and the sausages and the rashers and cook them in on the On, uh, the, on and the, the, the griddle and no cook them on the shovel on the shovel on the shovel in the train, <laughs> it's, it's Do you know, in the fire, yeah, in the fire. Did they, really? Oh, yes. Oh, God, was was great men. Mm. I, I knew him. What were the names? Do you know? There was uh, Tom Connors. He was uh, the driver on the train. And there was a fella called Paddy Snade. He was a fireman. And there was um, Jim Flood. God be good. Other all, There was Jim Flood then. He had a short leg. Do you know... Um, you know, to bent over. You know, he was to be a guard on the train, and then we had another fella. Then he was called I don't know what. The, I don't know he was called a Dublin man. And
1: oh, what was his job on the train?
2: Oh, he was a driver again.
1: What was he? And did they ever talk, or did you ever hear about the? the the extreme heat that they must have had to oh, endure yes. in, in yeah. you know, shoveling the the, the the coal into the fire yeah, all the time. Yeah, they
2: used to open it and in a go, in a go, in a go, seven or eight But then when the frost was out, they used to send the, uh, send the rails mm. to take off, do you know, mm. with the train. Well, you'd hear it going out the cutting at 100 miles low.
1: And in return for Molly's generosity, the railway men used to leave coal behind.
2: Yeah. We never knew how it was to buy a coal. Yeah. No, we did not. It, that's no. good. Great big knobs of coal. Yeah. Throw them out in the garden. We used to give them uh, spuds and parsnips and carrots because we had two gardens of our own. Well, it belonged to the railway. And then uh, he was a very good man. Oh, God, he was. And uh, would they be sold to the the lads, or was it just in exchange? Oh, no, 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 no money exchange no money at all, no, no, money money at all. No, there not? no, no, we wouldn't hear of that. And then when the, what's this called, when the herons used to come in, down below in Waterford or Wexford, they had an old black booker, <laughs> they come in and they throw them there and a great big base, herons, did they really? They, they uh, Lord, Them were the good times, you know. Yeah.
1: And there was great sadness when the line closed as Molly explains how her father took it very badly.
2: Daddy was in bed for three days.
1: Why was he in bed for three days? Sorrow. About what?
2: Taking up the railway.
1: When he saw the whole thing coming yeah. to an end?
2: Yeah. He was in bed for three days. Mm-hmm. You bring him up the day, t- I don't. Want it. You turn around and come down the stairs, you look back in there and you cry like the rain. Mm-hmm. I used to say to him, I can't go by more, Tom. He's crying. I said, God help him, she said.
9: Coming up our meadow, I just love looking at it, going up Ballinclair and coming down, going up to the Carrig, it, be- you know, it, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was beautiful. You know, down there. It was beautiful, really and truly.
1: The Truly and Dingle train passed through Kennedy's land between Awnesgall and Lisboaul. Eileen Kennedy remembers seeing this train speed up and down Ballinclair Valley. What do you remember, the steam, the the... The steam, I suppose.
9: Yes, and the, I don't know, the, the movements, of which even was lovely. Uh-huh.
1: The women of the village of Lisboa would bring their butter to the market in Dingle. And this was not only a commercial enterprise, but it was also a very important way of maintaining social contact.
9: And you know what, what they are, they the lovely, they're the big carriage and, you know, you knew everyone, and you saw everyone. Going back, to this ding, you see the women from Lisboa had the butter going to ding, to sell. But I it was terrific company. Do you know what we have? We have nothing now. <laughs> yes, uh-huh.
1: And they used to bring their
4: butter back in the They used,
9: back, yeah, back to, do you know, but I mother you now, was one of those, you know, William. And you know you'd be sitting big carriage sitting, and you knew everyone, and everyone spoke to each other and everything.
1: The Trillian Dingle railway line sometimes passed at very close proximity to farm buildings, and on an occasion, a spark from a passing train would cause a fire.
9: It wasn't here, should you often cream? They haven't got the grant, didn't it? I think it is. Yeah. The sparks of it.
1: Yeah, all Do you
9: know what that was saying? They put in the house all around the school.
1: But it, it opened up the whole countryside, didn't it? It did. And the train would also carry the schoolmistress Kate Driscoll from the village of Camp to the local school in Lispool, which Eileen attended.
9: Tygdune and Miss Driscoll were teachers in Camp and they travelled in the train. And the girl would go back for the tickets or something for Mr. Skill and just stop for her outside of school, which we were glad <laughs> to get ready for. <laughs>
1: a neighbour of Eileen's had a job in the railway and she explains that it was a well-paid job.
9: But he was, he was Courtney. Okay. And, and he worked in the railway and he'd seven and six a week and he was probably the richest man in the school that no one could have.
1: Have that much money?
9: The neck Indian, to you saying that up the Pope,
1: yes. So it was seen as a good job to have a job. Oh, on it the
9: was. I suppose that time, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. You yeah. imagine seven? Could you imagine seven and six? Yeah. At one time, they used timber from the wood down here. Come up here to the train.
1: Eileen also remembers the timber locally being cut and loaded onto the wagons in Lisbon. Yeah.
9: They used caught cut timber down there and it used to be loaded in the train up here. Wasn't that something carried to England? Yeah.
1: We mm-hmm.
10: were born in Ballyhorgan and then they were living in. In a smore, in a railway
1: house. PJ Harnett grew up in a railway house in North Kerry. He is the third generation to have worked for the Great Southern Railways and later CIE. My grandfather was
10: working in the railway as a plate layer. Plate layer is a man that does assist at the maintenance of the line. My father followed suit.
1: It was amazing work, uh, and great skill as well. Which is, I've sure. done a hell of a lot of it. Did you, no? And when I was very young, I was
10: at it, I started around 20. A plate layer, incidentally, the, the timber sleepers, now they're concrete, the timber sleepers were under the rails. Well, between the rail and the sleeper, there was a plate called the sole plate, there was, uh, therefore it was put on top of the sleeper's force one bolt was put in it, a fang with a head in it like a mushroom and the bolt, the nut underneath was a, a three corner crab that it sink. if you'd squeeze it overhead with it, a spanner, a fang spanner you'd squeeze it the, the, the nut or crab would tighten up into the stick and the Underneath that, the, the, this is like a mushroom, this bolt. The, the flange of the rail, of the flange railway, there's two types of rails. There's chair road and a flange road. And the, the wedge of the rail, all the wedges went underneath all those mushroom fangs along when they were put in the roof when they were put in new.
1: His mother was a railway gatekeeper, and he recalls here the timetable for the local trains.
10: There were white gates there, and there was a lamp on the gate for red and green the glass in the lamp that would be put up there every evening and taken down in the morning. And there was a signal beside that you'd put in the lamp, a square lamp, four panes of glass in a square, with an uh, island burning inside, a very small wick. And you'd put it into the container that was the back of this upright and you twist it with a winch and to carry it up and to sit in between the two arms yes. the signals. Yes. And when you catch the signal below, if if there there was a train had to come, the, the railways the gates differ. There was across the road by day and across the road by night. That means you were ready for trains at all times. Within some uh, railway houses the regulation was in these level crossings was across the road, across the river by day, across the railway by night. But had to be across the road and ready for t- regular trains and timed specials. <laughs> Could you tell me how often did the train come through? First train six thirty a.m. Trilly to Limerick. Passenger train nine fifteen, uh, Limerick to tralee Goods train left truly to Limerick at about 8, passed through Lixna around 11 o'clock or 11 to 11.15 to Limerick and another one came down in the evening, past Lixna at approximately about 5.15. In between that, there was the passenger train, the one that went up in the morning at 9.15 and one came back again in the evening at 630 And there was one later at 9.30, going from Limerick to Tralee. Now, how busy were those trains? They were quite busy, particularly, in fact, they were so busy that on a Friday, there was a special train leaving, mid-morning, leaving Tralee, going to Listero, the market train, they always call it. And there was a special rate that day on Fridays, the people who go to Listero to do their shopping. And... They'd return around four o'clock and uh, come off at Licknell station again going back the train going back to Trelee. Fair days every second Wednesday in the stall was a fair day for cattle and calves. Tuesdays was pig fairs and Lixnai village there used to be a job where they come there to buy pigs on the hoof. And they were taken into three There was a fellow in, one of the jobbers that I knew, Curtin was his name. He lived in Bellybunnan. He was called to our house to have a meal before he'd go. The fares in stall on Wednesday, there would be a special cattle train. There would be about 40 wagons placed in Old station. And uh, my mother, there was a, a circular route. It was like a programme that we'd have in a hotel for menus. But this was a circular daily and the days that suspicious ago, the time to train and leave Tralee, go to the store, pick up the wagons and cattle, and take them up the
3: country to Kildare. There were a number of systems in those early days in Tralee. There were, I think, four railways altogether served Tralee.
1: Paddy Hannigan grew up in a railway house in Tralee, and here he recalls all the railway companies that serviced Tralee and the surrounding area.
3: There was the Waterford Limerick, line which went to Tralee. Then there was a branch line which was a separate company originally from Tralee to Phoenix on the north side of the bay. Then they set up the uh, Tralee Light Railway Company which is what we're on at the moment. And then there was a branch line from Tralee to Killarney because originally the Great Southern Railway, or as it was then the uh, uh, Great Western and Southern Railway only came as far as Killarney, so they had to build a a branch line from Tralee, so you had four uh, uh, railway companies serving Tralee so, um Just to confine ourselves now to the Dingle Railway, that was known as a light railway company because the gauge of the tracks was much narrower. The standard gauge in Ireland was 6 foot 3 inches, whereas the line here, as you can see, is only 3 foot across. So this was built about the uh, the 1880s to serve Dingle, and it was, to all intents and purposes, our holiday train. I remember coming out here with my father when I was about four years old, even younger, uh, to have a look at camp and see what it offered. And uh, as he was a railway man and he had contacts in the railway, he made an arrangement to get each year for the month of August a little corrugated iron two-room building, which was called the Tea Rooms. And it was situated between the main Dingle line and the branch line going to uh, Castle Gregory. And it was an idyllic place. It was surrounded by a grove of what I think the foresters would call maritime pines. It was wonderful at night to hear the wind blowing through these, or the cones occasionally falling on the corrugated iron roof. (laughs)
1: We return again to John Knightley, and here he's describing what it must have been like working inside a a very confined space for the driver and the stoker. And then he goes on to talk about the terrain all the way back from Tralee to Dingle. And the steam, the dirt, the dust, uh, it it must have been dreadful. It was
7: dreadful, and... uh, it. uh, the little area that they had to work in was so confined then uh, the train had to be they had to make sure that there was always sufficient water in the boiler because if the water went down they were in real trouble because they wouldn't get the steam and they could not approach uh, some of the hills without having a good head of steam and on the way down then they always had to have plenty of steam to keep up the vacuum brake because the whole train uh, was vacuumed and uh, when the driver or when the guard pulled the vacuum brake the trains always braked from the rear to the front rather than the other way, the other way around otherwise the train <laughs> would get derailed but... Mm. Uh, the climb out of Annaskal was very severe altogether uh, for the first on each way going towards Dingle up towards Ballinclaire and the other way uh, up, uh, up to get up to Glownagalt and of course then again one of the great pulls coming from Dingle was uh, from Lisboa up to the top of Gardenador, and then, after Governor the Door, you had to come all, all around Bonn Ogue. And it was in
1: Bonn where the train got derailed one time with a gale of wind. And the special trains put on for excursions on a Sunday out to the beaches along the Tralee Bay must have been some spectacle to watch. Every
7: Sunday there was excursions out to camp and to Castle Gregory. And the crowds were so great, at some of them, they even sat on the top of the roof of the carriages. And now I, I have a feeling that my recollection goes that uh, some fella got killed and that put an end to Sunday excursions out of Tralee.
1: My goodness, you know, yeah, there, there, there was such a crowd going out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well,
7: it was a great novelty. He had transport for a few pence out uh, out to camp and... I think it it stopped there, one or two places where there's a nice beach. The people just hopped out and that was that. <laughs> Whereas today they'd be claiming compensation for jumping out in the ground.
1: And John here recalls the delay of up to one hour when the tide was in, uh, which occur because of the surrounding marshy lands as the train reached the outskirts of Blennerville.
7: Yeah. And, of course, then, uh, one of the great difficulties then, and it got worse and worse as the years went by, I couldn't say why, and that was the flooding at the basin in Trilley. And when the tide was in, especially high tide, and it flooded the line all along where uh, the Blinneville line is now, at the Blinneville line, the new line there, was moved much to the south, I presume. It went more south, and there was a new a uh, new way made for it, whereas the other one was nearer the water-like. And I remember as a young kid being in Trilly with my mam, and the next thing is, uh, if the water, if the tide was in, and if it hit the bottom of the firebox of the engine, well, they just had to wait there until the tide started to recede again. And that meant great delays.
11: I remember to go to Tralee with my mother in in, in the train, going above at the station.
1: On the Dingle-Tralee line, there was a diversion at Camp Junction to Castle Gregory. This line closed in 1939. But Tommy Daly from Castle Gregory can actually recall going on that train with his mother to Tralee.
11: You know, nothing glamorous about it. are all very old-fashioned seats, you know. It was like you have been saying, the trains all the time, but only the seats for in on the one side, like there was no no railing, nothing no, going no, no up between seats.
1: And Tommy had a job as a young lad. He used to drive the cattle to the station and on to the carriages heading for Tralee.
11: But I, I remember in the fair day driving cattle, up to the station, uh, went to the carriages above, uh, at the railway station in Castle Gregory, above, to, Patrick's the area there, to, you know, the, some of the buildings in fact are there, yeah, to, you know, that were there that time. Having a memory like that, going back and remembering the railway remember yeah.
1: so tell me, what, what did it look like up there in, in Castle Gregory, when the train it was coming in and going out and...
11: There were, you know, tracks coming in and out and you're going from the roadside, of course. And they was the cattle and the fair day, like, in there and we would be waiting inside. I was only a child, of course. I mean, I mean, it was 1939, you see. And I was only nine years. as I remember driving driving the cattle in and waiting for the train and the, the cat, driving them all into the, to the, to the trucks, you know, and the train. Going, steaming and steam up out, going out the tracks and way up to you know.
1: The Listole and Ballybunion Railway was unique in that it was a monorail and built on the Lartigue principle. It linked Ballybunion with North Kerry Line at Listole, and it opened in 1888. And the last train to leave was on the 14th of October 1924. You used to take sand from the sandhills and take it into the farmers in Listole, the
6: and they'd come and take it from the, the little wagons, you know, and have it from a milieu,
1: whatever they used to use, use it for. Eddie Harty lived and grew up in Ballybunyon and he recalled here the Lartique train coming up as far as the sand dunes in Ballybunyon and loading the wagons with sand and returning again to Listole.
6: And They call that the on the strand, the local people called it the railway gap because the, the, the train, the Lartique, went in here and thought...
1: And it, it used to F- up the sand. Turn here. around and uh, head all the way uh, back uh, again to. Uh, and
6: you see this this little field here. Now this, that was owned by Allens. Uh, the last of the Allens had it, and there was two families. There was Allens and Scanlands, and it was o- built
8: by the lathe for the house for the people that worked for the lathe. It wasn't pleasant. It a terrible noise. A fierce, fierce noise. A fierce, fierce noise. You
1: know. Michael Finucane travelled on the LRT during his summer holidays to Bally Bunyan, and he describes here what the journey was like.
8: And uh, he were sitting down and looking out. You know, and the seats were as hard, and you were shaking. You see, you know, you know the balance, you know the size setup of it, and uh, there was trouble getting people's. Balance, going in and out. fellas putting you here and putting you there and all that kind of thing, you know. And uh, But when the thing started, anyhow, the knives, if it wasn't the moon they were going to, it was Mars they were going to, you know. The moon was the moon wasn't near enough for me. <laughs> There was so much noise, and so much power. There two engines competing with each other, you know, when it each side of the track. And, did
1: it go very fast?
8: Oh, not at all, no. The, the, the cyclists, what number of them were there, what number of them were there, were... Uh, uh, we we're, we're, were trying to cycle. Any young fella, his, his great boast would be to to beat to beat the Lartigue, You know, you could say, and you'd see a fella sweating, sweating. And the horses you find out their life. Where was We used to go there regularly, and at the point, We used to see it regularly, and uh, because it was was the, the the road, you see, and uh, and we had a horse. He was a highly spirited horse. He was a geld boy. He was a only member of the farmers' races. And you can imagine him, and you see here we'll behold and you want to jump over the ditch. <laughs> and that's fine. And, and most unpleasant, me- and I two or three times I went to on each occasion I had a headache.
1: Ratmore Railway Station in North Cork was a busy place during the emergency in Ireland, and cartloads of turf from the bog were carted by the local farmers to the station and loaded on the wagons. Also, the Fry factory in the town was quite busy uh, transporting its chocolate crumb on the carriages, to Cork City. And John Kelly
4: remembers those days. Loading the wagons. If we do, uh, if you'd be nominated for a to, uh, a wagon it took to Dublin. There was three or four different people. And you see that would that'd be like the day have a trash or something because the people that have to that have to that have to like like a mail. They'd be sending hot rails the up. And then to be oh got them to be fierce jay together when a person was dominated and your man would come cycling, there was no communications that if Your man would come up to the house cycling and to go all over the town land like that there was a wagon toward by out, I'll had the number of the wagon. And then they'd all come down with their with, come down with their six horses and they'd have young lads and they'll go to Hassett's bar above then like there was placed there for tying the horses and to make a big a big deal. And of course there was another big thing too was Fry like with all the, the crumb that went out from Fry Cadbury's. I think 23 wagons of crumb that is go to Cork. And the shunting of the wagons. There was no computers that was you would have the you would have the an old bar under them and be very hard to get the wagon started and we'd have to go down the railway. we enjoy that because we could have a smoke when we go away down the railway couldn't smoke and sit in the factory at all and then you bring up three or four three or four empty wagons and you'd shove them up, and then they strike the full wagon. Were, oh, God, the, the noise would be out of that when the two bumpers would go out. It. But I think there's 22 wagons, yeah, coming up.
1: Well, we've come to the end, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, Railway Stories. If you would like to hear the full interviews, you can visit our website at www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is morris O'Keefe, and thank you for listening.